Self Voice, Episode 101, VRHA. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. We are flipping the script for Episode 101. Instead of me interviewing someone, I am the interviewee. I was a guest on the Common Health Podcast. Let's see what I had to say. Hello, and welcome to Common Health from the Virginia Community Healthcare Association, or VCHA, or what we're also known as is VACHA. I'm Tracy Douglas, VACHA's Chief Executive Officer. On Common Health, we're amplifying the voices of community health, both those who give care and those who need it. And once again, I'm very excited. You know, I always get so excited, listeners, when we're able to nab a great person uh, to come and join us on a, on the podcast. And today is no different. And that is because we've got a Beth O'Connor, and she is here from the Virginia Rural Health Association. And we're going to talk about that association in a minute. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to talk to you also a little bit about why I felt it was important to have Beth on the show. As you know, part of the reason why we started this podcast is so that you can hear from everyday folks like you and I talk about uh, who we are, what we are, and how it relates to what we're doing and ensuring that we're taking care of our our health and that we're accessing the services in a way that we feel satisfied that we've got control of our own health care. And so, uh, you know, it was really important that we bring Beth here because if you don't know, the Commonwealth of Virginia is made up of a good portion of the state is rural. It is rural America. Beth, can really speak to, I think, around some of what rural citizens here in the Commonwealth are saying, are feeling as it as it pertains to their health care and accessing health care services and other things as well. But I think it's representative of the way many people who live in rural parts of the United States are feeling when it comes to accessing health care services and, and taking care of their own health and how they view their health care system in the areas and the communities for which they live. So with that, I want to say welcome, Beth. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Tracy. And, you know, before we start, Beth, I would like for you to share with the listeners a little bit about the Virginia Rural Health Association. Who, who are you and who do you represent and what kind of work do you do here in the Commonwealth of Virginia? So the Virginia Rural Health Association represents the 2.5 million people who call rural Virginia their home, you know, whether that's individuals, hospitals, academic institutions, pretty much the gamut. And our membership reflects that. We have about 1,500 members statewide, and these are hospitals and clinics. These are students and faculty at medical schools and nursing schools. These are government entities, your local health department, the Virginia Department of Health, 
everyone who's interested in rural health issues, rural health and healthcare on any level is welcome to be a member and, and that's who we represent. We've got a number of projects going on right now in relation to substance use disorder, workforce development, and of course, our Pride of Rural Virginia initiative, which is looking to improve health equity for LGQIA citizens. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that um, health equity, right? You know, I am such a huge proponent of rural health care. It surfaced with me a few years ago when I was actually working at a federally qualified health center in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we had gone through uh, some interesting times at when I was working there. And it was a time when politically we were being uh, made more aware of folks who live outside of urban settings. And that's when I started to do some of my work and my research, right, to really understand what I didn't know. And so I think it would really, I'd really love to hear from you, uh, given your role there as the CEO uh, with the association. But really, what, what can you tell us about living in rural communities here in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Sure. You know, there's two ways to look at rural Virginia, rural America. A lot of people like to talk about rural communities in terms of what they lack in terms of their disparities. You know, we know that on average people in rural communities are older. We know that on average people in rural communities are more likely to have more chronic conditions. We know they're more likely to live in poverty. But you can also look at it in terms of what rural provides for everybody else. You know, we have the food, we have the fuel, we have the fiber, we have the fun. Your recreational opportunities are in your rural communities. So there's lots of different ways to look at that and look at what rural Virginia, rural America has to offer for everybody. You know, I I totally agree with you on what you shared. And, you know, it really made me, as you were outlining, right, some of what stands out about rural America and and here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But it, it, it still brought me to a point where, you know, Many of our community health centers, many of our healthcare organizations that provide care to mostly rural communities struggle with workforce, right? Finding the staffing and the staffing with the skill set, you know, that they may need to provide healthcare services. And so, what would you say? And I, I ask a lot of our guests this, so I have to ask, ask you this as well. What would you say to someone who is, you know, a provider, uh, maybe just, you know, coming out of school and being recruited by a rural community health center or rural hospital? What would you say to them as to the reason why they should highly consider working at that community health center? Yeah, there are so many benefits to living and working in a rural community. Um, I think people often tend to just look at their paycheck, and that's the only factor that they look at in terms of rural versus urban. But there's so many other things to consider. You know, how far does that paycheck go? You know, if you're trying to buy a home 
in the D.C. suburbs as to buying a home in Appalachia, there's a huge factor there in terms of cost of living. Uh, There's a big difference in knowing your community, knowing your neighbors, knowing the teachers in your school, you know, how involved you can be in the community. There's considerations just in terms of traffic. You know, my morning commute is maybe 20 minutes and that involves stopping three times to let a deer cross the road. If you're living in D.C., Chicago, New York, L.A., it's a whole different conversation. Um, and, of course, there's the concept of really knowing your patients. You know, you're, you're going to be serving generations within families and being really able to understand how their, their health impacts their health care from a social drivers of health perspective. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I, I so agree with what you were saying. And those, when we go out here and we talk to our folks um, who are potentially interested in looking at some of our rural health centers, uh, these are some of the same things that I share with them. And I, um, you know, I, I think there's just such great, tremendous opportunities for for our providers or future providers uh, if they were to come into uh, and consider working in, in, in rural health. And so that being said, define rural health. What's the difference between rural health and urban, right? Folks who live in urban cities, cities. Oh, yeah. And, and that's a big question. And some of that answer depends on how you define rural. You know, one of the things that we run up against is every federal department has a different definition of rural. Mm. Um, the, the CTC's definition is anything under a half million people, which to me is that that's ridiculous. That's urban, um, as opposed to yeah. the uh, Human Services Administration, uh, which has a much tighter definition. That's where we receive most of our grants through their Federal Office of Rural Health Policy. Uh, but when you look at what is rural health care, I think a lot of the answer is figuring out how much you can do from the primary care setting without having to go see a specialist because there are very few specialists in a rural community. So you want to make sure that your primary care providers have all the education and training they can possibly have to do what they can in that setting. Mm. So can you just talk to our listeners a little bit, Beth, about some of the challenges, access challenges that people who live in rural communities are faced with on a day-to-day basis? Sure. And access, again, can mean a diff- many different things. There's you know, basic access. Is there a provider? Do you have a primary care provider? Do you have a hospital in your county? Uh, there's access in terms of insurance. We know that people in rural communities are more likely to be farmers or small business owners or have other sources of income that doesn't give them the traditional employer-based insurance that we think of in our rural communities. And of course, there's access in terms of transportation. Again, not a whole lot of subways running around rural Virginia. And so if you can't afford your own vehicle, how are you getting not only to healthcare, but how are you getting to a job that would provide you the insurance to get that healthcare? 
One of the things that I have talked to many providers uh, in the rural healthcare settings is uh, around the transportation. You know, you had said they're not subways, uh, but they're no there's no buses, you know, I mean, there's no, you know, public transportation. And like you said, many individuals are relying on their own transportation or somebody who can get them around. In fact, in Pittsburgh, they would call them jitneys, you know, relying on a jitney to be able to get them where they need to go. And, you know, that being said, telehealth, right? You know, I would think that telehealth would be something that would have been embraced more so in the rural community uh, because of the the transportation challenges, right? But I'm hearing from many health centers as well as other healthcare providers that not necessarily, that's been not necessarily the case. Yes, during the pandemic, but we're finding more of our patients like coming or want to come in and and to see us. Can you, can you talk a little bit about why that is? Absolutely. And telehealth has been uh, championed as the savior of rural communities. Telehealth is going to fix all of our access problems. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of considerations that have to be made. One, comfort with technology. I've used telehealth for services, certainly during the pandemic, uh, but you are never in a million years going to get my 80-year-old mother to see somebody via telehealth, partially because she doesn't know how to turn her own phone on. Um, mm. So the, the, there's that. There's issues with broadband access. You know, I just got internet at my home in February of this year. So the option of using telehealth during the pandemic from home, that was never going to happen for me. Uh, Many of our rural citizens still don't have decent internet, much less the high-speed broadband needed for telehealth. And believe it or not, many of our rural facilities don't either. There's a number of, of rural health clinics and others that still do not have high speed, reliable internet. You know, I was invited to uh, the White House a few weeks ago, uh, and they were there uh, talking to just a few of us about uh, some of the initiatives that had been put in place coming out of the uh, Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. Learned that uh, folks can reach out and listeners, for you to um, know, for your information, if you go to getinternet.gov, you can check out what's available to you in your state as far as helping get you broadband access. But I I say that to say, um, Beth, it is here and available. We do know that uh, Virginia uh, has received a significant amount of money uh, through this program to help provide the access to high-speed internet across the Commonwealth. In addition, we also know that about 345,000 households in Virginia are enrolled in the Affordable Connectivity Program. And we feel encouraged that more are signing up every day. Do you know if this is a program that is is something um, that folks n- know about in the rural communities? And if not, 
how can we get this information out to them? You know, that's a, a little bit of a chicken and egg question. If you don't have mm. internet, how do you know about an internet connectivity mm. program? Because most of the way we distribute information anymore is through the internet. Um, so I think the way that people are going to find out about it is going to be through community-based programs, you know, such as your community healthcare association in your rural communities um, and other social services that exist in our rural communities, uh, whether that's jobs programs, you know, the welfare to work programs certainly are, are pushing those types of options for folks, community colleges, other government entities in our rural communities all have a factor to play. When you live in a rural community and you're challenged with transportation issues, as well as some other social, we call them social determinants of health issues, right? And that's where transportation falls under. You had also talked about that a, a majority of, of individuals that, that do live in rural communities tend to be more on, uh, on the lower income bracket. Why is that, Beth? And there's a number of reasons. Um, first and foremost, the types of jobs that are available in rural communities on average are lower income jobs. We don't have the big businesses, the dot coms, all, all of the things that, that people tend to use for those higher income positions simply because there's a, a lower population density to support some of those bigger services. Some of it is just the way that rural economics are structured. Um, one of the things that I talk about is the economy in rural communities is extraction economy. We take from rural communities, we take coal, we take timber, we take fiber, we take vegetables, you know, other things that we grow on the ground. And all of those things leave the rural communities. And so the the economic drivers that create the, the, those possibilities don't stay in that rural communities. All the stuff that would generate income leaves. So then why do we see, you had said at the start of our conversation, you had talked about that you were seeing an older generation living in rural communities. Does that mean that you know people are living in other parts of the states where the jobs are, and then they retire, right? And then they move to the rural communities. Is that what we're seeing as to why there are there's older generations? Well, you see that people in rural communities on average are older than the general population, mostly because people are leaving um, for opportunities once they finish high school. You know, maybe they leave to get an education and don't come back. Maybe they leave uh, to get a better job than they would have locally and don't come back. Now, since COVID and since the rise of the internet, we're seeing that shift somewhat. Some people are choosing to either stay or come back to their local communities, but that's only if they can get decent internet service. If a community doesn't have internet, they are going to continue to decline. What's our solution, Beth? What is our, because the way I look at it is that part of what helps keep the rural community healthy is addressing transportation challenges, broadband access, and, and then also, if you look at it, we don't see a lot of grocery stores, right, in rural communities. We'll see, you know, convenience stores um, or, you know, 
other kind of stores, a little bit larger than the convenience stores, but certainly no grocery stores. So how do we come up? What are the solutions? How do we get to some solutions to be able to help rural communities? Something that we all need to do uh, as, as rural health advocates is do a better job in talking to elected officials and other key community leaders that healthcare is an economic driver in and of itself. I think often our elected officials tend to dismiss healthcare as a charity, mm-hmm. um, especially since you know so many hospitals and clinics are nonprofits. They think of it as as a charity, like you would a food bank or clothing assistance center. Whereas healthcare, first of all, everybody needs healthcare regardless of their financial situation, and two, healthcare is a major economic driver. If I'm going to pick on Walmart for a second, if Walmart employs a hundred people and a local hospital employs 100 people, that hospital is going to generate much more in terms of salary base and therefore taxes to help improve that local community. Hospitals, clinics are huge economic drivers for where they live. And so part of the solution is to help elected officials, other stakeholders understand that Investing into healthcare is investing into the entire community. Often we hear about elected officials trying to lure in some sort of business to their community. Why are they doing similar things to make sure that healthcare is is staying in that rural community? Especially when you consider that a business is going to hesitate locating in an area if there's not health care, if their employees can't receive health care, that's a major ding on that community's possibility of landing some big manufacturing plant. The other part of that is the problem informs the solution in terms of staffing. You talked earlier about how it's so hard for some of your clinics to be able to find staff. What is that clinic doing to reach out to its local fifth through 12th graders and encouraging them to consider healthcare careers? Are they working with the high school? Are they providing mentorships and job shadowing opportunities? What are you doing to encourage your rural kids to come back to your communities? Why do we keep trying to recruit kids from Alexandria and Richmond into Appalachia? Why aren't we getting kids from Appalachia to go to nursing school, to go to medical school, to learn how to be OTs and PTs and therapists and whatever else? Get those rural kids there, get them invested in their community. One question I'm always curious about is, People living in rural communities, what do they think about? Do you have any data on what they, how do they look at healthcare? How do they view healthcare? And how do they look at, look at it as it pertains to themselves, their family, their close friends, their community as a whole? Sure. Yeah, and we've been having it internal discussions about this recently, somehow we've moved from the trusted family doctor who birthed every single generation um, in the community to 
nameless, faceless, rubber stamp healthcare entities um, that you don't really know. In the process of that, there's been some trust degraded in the healthcare system. Um, you know, we've especially seen this in rural communities with the opioid crisis. You know, are, is this healthcare provider prescribing this because they think this is the best thing for me, or is this the healthcare provider prescribing this because they're going to get a kickback from the pharmaceutical companies? You know, whether or not they're even allowed to have a kickback is a wholly different discussion. But there's that concern in the back of your head of, am I getting what I need or am I getting what somebody is making money to give me? Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line, we've eroded that trust in our rural communities from a variety of perspectives. So I look at community health centers, right, Beth? And the mission of community health centers is really about seeing anybody and everybody, no matter what their ability to pay is. And they're located in these communities, right? There's a reason why they're in the communities for this. What is it that you think that we could do to continue our connections, to reinforce our connections with our community uh, and our patients? Well, and as you know, the community health centers, you know, they have to have a nonprofit board partially made up of your patients, uh, which I think is an amazing opportunity to, to have a deep understanding of your community. Mm-hmm. So the community health center model is one I highly recommend. I think it's a great option for knowing what's going on in your community, knowing what your patients' needs are. You know, other things I w- would recommend for community health centers are, are really for anyone. Um, you know, all of those healthcare type things you do are fantastic. Also, I would make sure that your staff, as much as possible, are involved in other things in the community outside of healthcare. You know, coach a little league team. Be on some committee with your county board. Do something in the community that people see you outside of when they've got a, an appointment at the clinic. You know, I can't disagree with with some of the things that you shared. And I know that many of our community health centers, like you said, we do have that 51% community-based requirement for our board members so that we can stay connected closer to our community and understanding what their needs are. You know, and, and speaking of needs, hospitals, I think that, you know, we struggle, community health centers struggle with having a hospital partner because as you know, we're seeing more and more hospitals uh, struggle financially uh, with keeping their doors open in the rural communities. And so what if your your organizations, the members of your organization, what have what have they been saying? What what have been some of their solutions uh, that they would like to see to help prop up the the rural hospital industry? So we've been working quite a bit with the National Rural Health Association. You know, something I think many people don't realize is the 
regulations, the payment system that governs what goes on rural hospitals were created by an act of Congress. And it takes a literal act of Congress to change those regulations and change those payment systems. And so I would encourage everybody, you know, to make sure that you know what's going on talk to your elected officials. You know, if, if you're in Virginia, talk to Tim Kaine, talk to Senator Warner about what you're seeing in your local communities. You know, the, the solutions are making sure that there is a payment system that makes sense. Uh, again, our rural communities, we have a higher number of people who are over 65 and are on Medicare. We have a higher percentage of people who are in poverty. We have a higher percentage of people that don't have traditional health insurance. So they can't rely on that traditional employer-based insurance the same way a city hospital would. And so there has to be a payment system, a reimbursement system for them that allows them to keep their doors open. We've seen what happened you know, in Patrick County and Lee County when those hospitals closed. It is devastating for the local community. Lee amazingly has been able to reopen, which is almost unheard of. And there is no way that would have happened without serious investment, personal time, effort from local citizens in making sure that that reopened. What's the loss, Beth, to this country, to our state, if we continue to lose our rural communities? What, what do we lose? Yeah, I go back to, you know, what we talked about earlier. It, when rural provides the food, the fuel, the fiber, you know, where do you think your food comes from? And if there's nobody in rural America growing that food, what exactly are you going to do? And I, I can't emphasize enough that people in urban areas tend to be dismissive uh, of folks in rural communities. I mean, we, we've seen that in the, in the media. We've seen that at the federal election process of, you know, r- rural folks are convenient things to trot out when somebody's running for president and then get shoved back in a corner again. But there's major things that will not happen in this country without investment from rural America. Beth, if there was one piece of advice uh, you could give to all of us and our listeners here as it pertains to rural health care. What, what would you say to us? I would tell people, if they're not familiar with rural America, rural communities, to question some of the headlines that you see when you read about something that happened in a rural area. You know, why is the reporter interviewing this person or that person? Why is this being depicted in a sensationalist manner. Dig deeper as to what it is you think you know about rural areas. Read books and articles by rural authors. Learn more about what goes on uh, for rural organizations. Dig deeper, learn more. Lovely. Well, Beth, again, and listeners, I'm sure as you've heard, Beth is a wealth of knowledge on an, on a topic that I hold near and dear to my heart. 
uh, I, I t agree with you, Beth. Uh, rural America is a special part of America, especially I feel, and yes, I'm a little biased here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. There are some amazing uh, people and healthcare providers that live in rural America and are doing some wonderful and great things. That was me talking about healthcare in rural America. Check out the show notes for a link to the Common Health Podcast if you want to hear more episodes. Registration for the Rural Health Boys Conference is now open. Join us in Blacksburg, November 15 and 16. For details, visit brha.org and scroll down to the conference information. Don't forget to check out our other affiliated events on the way down.